For November 14th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 750. Parallel. My little hungry ones, hungry ones, hungry for subjecting the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Open up a package of overthinking, <laughs> where we uh, talk, where we talk about, where we talk about weird, the the most consequential cultural artifact of the last two thousand years. I'm not sure if we'll continue. I'm not sure if we'll continue with that with that bit. That that would really be playing in the same space that the that the film plays in. Hey, we're going to talk about weird, the Al Yankovic story. I didn't even troll you because from now on, we only do original podcasts. We're uh, done with parodies. We're done with all yeah, that. We're done. Politics. We're done with commenting bits on on films that have uh, that have been released. You know that already exist. We're going to describe films, and if they come to exist subsequently, then they completely <laughs> ripped us off. I feel like I'm owed a billion dollars for Top Gun Maverick. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, well, they have it. We know they have, they're good for it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not rather. I am here with Pete Bermuda Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, how's it going, Matt? And Mark, uh, Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Hey, I'm, I'm the traveling accordion salesman who's just showed up to your door. Oh, why did you punch me in the face? What did I do to deserve that? Oh. Weird is a, uh, it's not a biopic. It's a parody of the biopic genre that takes certain, certain events from Weird Al Yankovic's life and kind of strings them together in a, you know, in a fictional story. Um, so like it, and it's been all over the media, my media anyway. My filter bubble has been serving me content. Uh, my algorithm. You know, thinks I will like this. I will like this movie, and I did for the most part. I I enjoyed it, and the um. So uh, you know, the like uh, all over my feed has been interviews with Al and Daniel Radcliffe and whoever saying, uh, "Oh, you know, the story about the traveling accordion salesman is true, but it didn't end in quite the way that it does in the film." And by the way, spoiler alert for the film, which if you care about that kind of thing, I, you know, I suppose you can pause it now. Spoiler alert: It has a surprising amount of violence, which we'll talk about. <laughs> the um. Yeah, so the spoiler alert, Daniel Radcliffe is jacked <laughs> for this movie, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, really, really, uh, a couple times takes his shirt off. I was like, wow, okay, okay, Harry, You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta get in Yankovic shape, man. You gotta get in Yankovic shape. <laughs> um, let, let's start a little bit on Weird Al Yankovic before we go into the into the thing, Pete. What first memory of Weird Al Yankovic? How did he enter your life as a you know as a pre adolescent boy? Oh, I probably from Fat from the even worse album being a big hit. Right. Uh, you know, I think I think it was just encountering that song and seeing that video on television. And, and Weird Al is just he's a he's a person that as far as long as I can remember was doing the thing that he's famous for doing. And there was never a time when he was. So he's been a real fixture in my understanding of, of popular culture. And so uh, I could not speak with any authority to what, to what the world was like before him because I wasn't here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah. And I, and I think throughout, I, I mean, I enjoy Weird Al. I've seen him live. I, I saw his actual, uh, the live show, the live tour where he only did 
his own original songs. Uh-huh. Didn't do any parodies, which was a great show. With um, like what, like uh, uh, Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota, and those oh, were the yeah. good old days, and you know the songs like that. The full on Albuquerque, where two thirds of the way through he loses track and he has to start over from the beginning. Uh, if you're not familiar with Albuquerque, it is this incredible monster, insano, you know, metalish, punkish song about this like crazy, violent, grotesque uh, journey that the main character goes on, uh, and uh, and it just tells this story that goes on and on forever. And in, and when he does it live, sometimes he loses his track and has to start over. Again. The whole thing is like <laughs> that's that's not that's not just a bit. Like he actually loses his place, and like you know, that's that's the only way he can get through it is to start over. Or is it, it a song? It, it's, it's, it's an exercise that's best left to the listener. It's all a bit. It's something he does does as part of the show. I, I don't. Okay, okay, okay. I don't understand. Okay, I'll say that right now. In the context of Weird Al, if you say like, "Is that a bit?" I don't really understand the the truth value of the question or the answer. Like the answer is yes, it is a bit. It is all a bit. Right? It's like, all a bit. Uh, but but I don't know. Um, Weird Al, he's very choreographed. He does everything very precisely, and he always brings a lot of attention to detail to his projects. So he doesn't seem to really. B- blunder into jokes uh he, he kind of seems to you know follow the map that he writes for his territory what um mark how did how did weird al into your uh young life um probably the michael jackson parodies um but um because it smells like teen spirit was just such like a you know cultural nuclear bomb that went off in my young pre-adolescent pre-adolescent middle school life um his uh his his parody of that smells like nirvana um, was 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 just I, I remember it being huge and um you know it was it was one of many early introductions to this like notion of impishness and mischief it's like wow you know you can take something that is so serious and make it not serious what an idea and it took probably like you know um you know well into my uh late teens early 20s to like really fully embrace that 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 that, that sense of impishness um, but, uh, that was, that was, I just remember being a, a very big thing and, um, thinking, wow, you must be really important if you can do a parody of Smells Like Teen Spirit, <laughs> that weird out guy, he, he must have, he, whatever it is, he's got it and I want it. That's really interesting. So you had the Yankovic bump when you were, uh, you felt the Yankovic bump. That's really interesting <laughs> that you have to, I mean, I think there is like, there is kind of like a jester privilege, right? Like clowning, yeah. clowning someone does like assume a certain amount of privilege and that's that i that's a really interesting thing and i I can see how like to your young mind that would be like oh yeah he must be like the guy you know i wonder if you know i wonder what blackmail material he has on (laughs) all of these artists in order to uh you know make them uh let him do his his parodies Uh, i was like pete i had even worse on cassette and then like you know searched around and found some other cassettes at the uh at the record store which at the music store i guess because there were no records there were only cassettes and compact discs and um and yeah and and like pete it feels like he's always been there but there was a maybe we just weren't paying attention but i feel like there was a late 90s maybe um break and i remember pete when i played you i played for you uh right after college or uh, yeah uh the song angry white boy polka from the poodle hat um the poodle hat album uh that um, and you were like, oh, Weird Al, we've needed you. 
We've needed you, we've needed you so much. I'm trying to find the discography on uh, yeah. on Wikipedia. The, the, the videography might um, be better serve you. I think there's a big peak Weird Al um, from the kind of the first wave. Probably came in like 1999, right, with the Phantom Menace thing, and also it's all about the Pentiums. Remember Pentium uh, computer chips, you guys? Um, yeah, and there was certainly a bit of a lull coming until back in like 2006. So yeah, running running with scissors, white, white, white and nerdy, uh, kind of like came back into the scene, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. There were no uh, that. So that's interesting. Is he's he's back? Uh, yeah, I mean, what? I mean, Pete, what? What? What is his? What? What is that guy's deal? Okay, so <laughs> I've been thinking about this a bunch and about how to articulate what Weird Al is doing, and I feel like I have a thesis. Okay. I feel like I have a, an idea of what Weird Al's deal is. And uh, here's the deal. There's a lot of stuff in the world, and in particular in the modern world or in the world of, you know, the 80s, the 90s and today of today's best music or whatever, the, and all the best throwbacks. There's there's a lot of things that populate your your world around you. And there's also a ton of stuff that populates your experience of entertainments and medias and fictions, hyper realities of various sorts. And those two spheres of things you know, they sometimes don't cross over. Sometimes they do. But the the main gist is that who who you are in your social uh, status structure, right, I think is often dictated at least at the time period that is thought of as Weird Al's like classic time period. So, you know, mid 80s through mid 2000s, I would say it was it felt like your social status was dictated by what you like, not dictated, informed and and had a cyclical relationship with what you like. If you were of certain social statuses, you're supposed supposed to like certain things. And if you're of other social statuses, you're supposed to like different things. Uh, And I don't think this is really the case as much anymore. I think a lot of the discussion of this has been around kind of geek culture and being a geek for things and also the fragmentation of the media as it relates to the Internet and social media and everything that changed there. But if you go back to before social media, when we just had mass media, there was the stuff that everybody watched. And and then you sort of had a degree of popularity or not, depending on how you engage with that. Or rather, based on your popularity, you might engage with it or not engage with it. And then there might be niche things that would mean you make you cooler or less cool or whatever. But also from that, right, and this is a bit of an extended thesis, there's an expected uh, way that you ought to project to others how you feel about the things you like based off of whether they make you higher status or lower status. Right. So like, um, you know, if it's like, oh, what did, what did you watch this weekend? Oh, you know, I watched Barney with my little sister. I was babysitting like whatever, you know, um, it would not be OK as a teenager in, you know, 1994 to like really love Barney unironically, mm. uh, you know, that you. But not only that. Now you, you tell project, me. Yeah. Well, you would want to project to other people that you felt sheepish about the fact that you were even enjoying it. This is sort of like a stock sort of social behavior from the time kind of lowering your own status while while claiming a sort of relationship with a thing that you maybe or maybe didn't like so here's what the gist of weird al shtick is weird al takes the idea of liking something right and particularly as it relates to the popular culture and firstly he broadens it not just to the things that are like in the universe of the thing being discussed like sort of in the cluster of ideas that surrounds the thing but he winds it to everything and when if you widen it to everything, 
the broad proliferation of things that you encounter are like household everyday objects, right? So it's like, there's like 15 different kinds of spoons in your house, but like, you know, and, and then there's also like four religions, right? So like, so like if you were just to pick something at random to have strong feelings about, you're more likely to hit a spoon than a religion. Um, and, and as such, like, uh, and, and furthermore, there's this idea that Weird Al's thing is that he's weird. Weird Al's thing isn't that he's weird. Weird Al's thing is that he is just as enthusiastic about being weird as the coolest person is about the coolest thing that they like, right? Like all the time. And, and he performs it, you know, in a sort of hyper real clownish way. Like it's not played supernaturalistically, but the gist is like Weird Al will sing a song about lasagna and he will just commit and love the lasagna. Now, granted, this has a certain sort of cultural insight associated with it because lasagna is great. And honestly, like lasagna is probably better than whatever it is they're singing about La Bamba because it was too Spanish. I don't understand it. Right. Um, but it's like, but, he, you know, I would I'm, actually I can't. La Bamba's a bad pick because I actually don't know what it's about. But there are a lot of Weird Al songs where the thing that he's think, singing about is is more worthy of the time and attention than the thing that's the subject of the song, except it's like much, much less serious. Right. Oh, I'll give you I'll give you uh, another one bites the dust versus another one rides the bus. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Or like um, or, or uh, his his Eminem lose yourself parody about there being too many things on television. Right. And like watching so many and being sort of obsessed about watching like lots of different things about television and being sort of both, you know, entranced and tortured by the like huge proliferation of media as opposed to like preparing for a freestyle rap competition as being like a much broader and kind of more uh, trenchant subject right um the joke there being of course that the word lifetime has different meanings in both the song and the song <laughs> nice <laughs> and so yes and so the so the the sort of double the double flip of this is you know he has in his original work he has stuff like hardware store greatest ball of twine in minnesota right like uh the, well i want to say like the night santa went crazy but that's just that's the kind of thing that anybody would talk about on the playground right but like where there's some subject matter that's not really worthy of a whole lot of enthusiasm. And he brings like a ton of enthusiasm and a ton of musical skill, not just talent per se, but like time and attention to crafting something around it. Right. And that this has a certain cultural uh, critique aspect and as a cultural commentary aspect, but mostly it's about uh, really kind of sticking the idea that you can only like one kind of thing. And, and when, what are we really like with what we like? And mm. then he does it for he flips it because he picks the things that people say they like the most of all, which are the big hit songs uh, are playing on the radio. Like he he takes the energy that's around the most liked things. And so he gets this sort of like crystalline, you know, straight from the stream, you know, like uh, from from the source uh, of, of, of like enthusiasm and likedness. And he directs it at something else, uh, which you're not supposed to like as much. Uh, like being fats, right? Or, uh, or I'll give you a uh, Amish paradise is a good example. Yeah, yeah, of that. yeah or being, yeah, or like like being Amish, and, and he brings with it the flavor of the emotional point of view of the of the art, but but changes it so they so like there's a degree of sophistication in the song parody often because he he creates a juxtaposition of the point of view of his character singing the song about the thing that he's singing it about. And that can be compared and contrasted in relatively complicated ways with the thing that the original singer is singing about and the way that they're singing about it. But it isn't a complicated phenomena that has complicated causes. It's a complicated phenomena that has simple causes. And the simple cause is like 
everybody loves, you know, um, I mean, let, let me just pick another one, you know, like, like riding dirty, like everybody loves riding dirty, right? Like not everybody loves being white and nerdy. <laughs> like let's make right. Let's take the energy of Ryan dirty and direct it towards being white and nerdy. Right. And, and then it's a, it's a standard. If this is true, what else is true? Let's live, let's like own up and commit to the pattern and make it happen. But, but I think it's really about the, the social expectation that's often being lampooned is the idea that your confidence is supposed to be related to whether you like popular things. It's not just about nerds. It's about like nerds who are shy about being nerds and that not being the way that that sort of, you know, discourse drink, you know, ought to or really does function in real life um, mm. or laughing at it, laugh, laughing at this idea of like, what what if we just unabashedly bared our capacity for feelings for things? And also, what if we decoupled our feeling and our capacity for feeling from the notion that it has to necessarily be linked to certain sort of conditions, right? That like, uh, oh, you know, um, this is the sort of thing that naturally makes people upset. This is the sort of thing that naturally makes people happy, right? And these sort of are built into theories of the world. Well, yeah, but what if anybody could have any feeling about anything? And what if you looked around the world and it was full of all sorts of weird people who had any feeling about anything? And wouldn't that sort of undermine the idea that everybody's supposed to have certain sorts of feelings about certain sorts of things? Um, yeah, and, it's, and that, yeah. It's interesting to use the word undermine there when, like, uh, I want to distinguish that from, like, say, like other forms of parody. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what mm. parody really means. Is it like, um, I, I think some parodic artists are really out there to kind of take things down many pegs, right? Yeah. Um, kind of uh, defang, um, re you know, really truly poke fun at, right? To um, uh, take the sting out of uh, something that something uh, someone thinks is serious. I, I might put like certain movie parody um parodists into this camp here um where like oh this movie you know very serious but, um uh, this is not the best example of like you know a mafia movie but it's like ha 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 let's like show how kind of like you know um silly and trite and, and cliche these things are by making a parody of it called like, mafia like, exclamation like James point Austin, jane austen's mafia right which is <laughs> bridges yeah that's what i'm talking exactly yeah i saw that in the theater <laughs> the late 90s what a, what a time to be alive you saw that in the theater? I feel like I can still taste the junior mints that I ate while watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he comes out of the bathroom soaking wet. And like the joke is, you know, you're like, what happened? What happened to you in there? And the joke is El Nino. Remember that? <laughs> what a joke. What a time to be alive. Anyway, my point El being Nino. my point being is that like this is very much not Weird Al's creative project or his like right. you know, you, you you can't even ascribe like a political lowercase p p political aim to his art. It's just not that. It's like that kind of decoupling and juxtaposition of things that are liked and things that are cool um, that you describe, Pina, that's in a, in, a, in a really elegant way. I like that a lot. So what I hear, Pete, is that uh, Weird Al is engaged in a political program to tear down hierarchies of coolness and uh, he's a revolutionary in, in a certain way. <laughs> I mean, he's probably more of an evolutionary than a revolutionary. <laughs> I mean, is he truly Dr. Demented? That's a good question. Maybe maybe that's the funniest part, right, is the idea that is the not the funniest part, but one of the funnier parts of the sort of history of the Weird Al canon is the self-conscious association with being called weird <laughs> where when he is really not that weird. When the, when the point is sort of like everybody else is already like this. We're all just sort of pretending that all you weirdos don't just like random stuff, but also like 
my mentor calls himself demented. Like this person calls himself like strange guy. Right. Like, and to the extent, to, to the extent, like how demented is, is Dr. Demento? He's, he's a little silly, <laughs> right? Like <that's, laughs> but like Dr. A little silly doesn't yes. have the same, the same kind of ring. And I think like with the Jim Morrison parody, you know, uh, the, um, the the difference between the kind of the threatening aggressive counterculture and the you know non non threatening kind of mildly silly counterculture like is is thrown into relief because he's he's not just sort of deflating i mean i guess does parody deflate or does parody sort of inflate by you know uh, they they make a joke about this in the movie that when he records the parody of a song the song sales increase they call it the yankovic bump in the film and so you know the argument is made i mean it's not an argument it's not that that grandiose but there is the idea that like you elevate the status of the thing that you're parodying when you create the parody or do you take some juice away you know do you kind of like do you drain it of some of its uh solemnity you know by pulling it uh by pulling it down into the into the silly space by pulling it down into the ball pit you know <laughs> where like one kid is dressed as a pirate and uh, another kid is dressed as tinkerbell or something like that i guess that is uh that is appropriate because there is a pirate milieu in uh in peter pan i was trying to think of two different things that had no uh no relationship with each other um but that like it but it it seems to like take Jim Morrison down a peg like hey this is you know the way this guy uh, acted was a little extra <laughs> Right. In- <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain people that Weird Al really doesn't have a problem with tearing down uh, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not most people. But yeah, the Jim Morrison stuff is. Uh, yeah. Well, which one is that in the movie that you're talking about? Yeah, when he goes, when he's he's got the whiskey bottle, and he's I I think that's out that's of that's what that was. I think I that's out to my of my wife, the, and I was like, this is about something specific. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Mm. Okay, <laughs> it, it, there's probably it's been a while since I've I've seen uh the, the you know uh the movie where Val Kilmer played Jim Morrison, The Doors. Um, but I'll I'll bet that's a a recreation of a sequence from that, and certainly is the kind of thing that that. Jim Morrison used to do walk around shirtless, holding a bottle of whiskey, you know, uh, the, the, uh, light making a halo around his hair as he, you know, simultaneously berated the audience and, and, you know, uh, begged for their, uh, approval. So that's, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that seems to me to be in the deflating camp. Like, Hey, this, this guy is, is, is kind of ridiculous, but, um, I don't know what, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe like, sm- uh, smells like Nirvana, you know, also does, uh, take Nirvana down a peg. I don't know. Like the, oh, well, the things that are taking, they taking down a peg. I will say like, like a surgeon, like takes down like the, um, the, the overwhelming sexuality of like a version, um, of that original song, but maybe even more importantly, like since we're starting to talk about the movie, right. You know, the movie certainly is a parody that is, um, at least a part of it is is it's one of many music biopic movies that takes that genre down a peg because it is absolutely I think is um, not controversial to say um, that genre, at least around the time of like, uh, you know, the, 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 the early 2000s was, was desperately in need of being taken down a peg. Um, Walk Hard, um, the Dewey Cox movie 
um, starring John C. Riley, which is brilliant and, and a fabulous movie. Everyone should see it. That was like 2007, right? Uh, coming on the heels of like the the Ray Charles movie and the um, the Johnny Cash movie um, that had um, you know that, that kind of bloated into you know pretension and formula and we're like you know wait uh, can follow the same formula and we're you know way too hagiographic sure. in their presentation. Um, uh, oddly enough, like you know, the the creators of of Bohemian Rhapsody did not seem to uh, learn those lessons. They just kind of like you know, uh, just xeroxed <laughs> the formula and, and, and onto the Queen, uh, quote unquote story. Um, but there there is that going on there. I think. I mean, like that's only part a, a part of the movie. Like the, the by and large, it is like just an exercise, an excuse to clown and have silliness. Um, but uh, there, there's like kind of weird, there's give and take going on here, right? Kind of the taking down and building up. Um, I would also just use this brief opportunity to take us on a little bit of a segue and talk about the uh, intense moment of brand parody that happened on Twitter when uh, Elon Musk Twitter decided that blue check marks would just you know give away for eight bucks uh, without really any sort of <laughs> identification verification, which is supposed to be like one of the core features of the blue check mark. Um, and uh, I'll just offer up like a good example of this being like the Eli Lilly parody <laughs> where someone said, you know, insulin is now free right that is of course taking uh eli Lilly down a, a huge peg and kind of you know calling them out on their blatant greed um but also elevating them insofar as like you know just pointing out like the huge power and influence they have over people's lives i feel like um, we need to we need to take a trip into wikipedia though because the like i i would have called that specific or that specific treat where it's like insulin is free now lol or what was that it was that the one or was there another lol yeah, tweet? Yeah. yeah um i would have called that satire right where mm, the yeah, where the yeah. like the mockery is actually kind of pointing at us a, a social change right um or at or there's at least an implied there's an implied social critique. I'm not sure uh what the implied social critique is in uh, another one rides the bus unless it's about urbanism and public transportation and the need to have robust networks of uh public transportation funding. Uh, I mean Yeah, I, I mean I just I should just that. add like that like I use the word the word parody just kept coming up because Mr. Musk the new CEO and owner of Twitter like specifically used that word and describing the phenomenon and also saying like, you know, you <laughs> parody accounts must be labeled as such, um, which is a great indication that um, he has a very poorly formed sense of humor and doesn't really understand, know what it is that he's doing. Anyway, let's not talk about Twitter anymore. That's so a whole so other, to talk about the movie, right? Yes. So to transfer this to the movie a bit, I feel like the Weird Al, the weird, the Al Yankovic story doesn't feel to me like, strictly speaking, a Weird Al project, mm. like a Weird Al work. It, it involves Weird Al. He certainly like helped write it. Um, but there's a lot of other people that are working on it and it feels like it, it has other values that it's also pursuing. But I think the most important thing to sort of characterize or, or explain or think about to, to overthink about, about this movie is the role of Daniel Radcliffe in this movie. Mm, yes. And, and what he's doing, right? Because, because it's amazing. It's, 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 I feel like if it weren't Daniel Radcliffe doing this, None of us would really I mean, it would be nice that this movie existed, but it would not really be worth talking about. Uh, it would be like a funnier die sketch. It would be 10 minutes long tops, but it can only really be a feature. It was movie. Pete. It was a 10 minute funnier die sketch. Do you oh, know sorry, that Aaron, in sorry, the, Aaron Paul? Yeah, in the in the <laughs> oh, oh. in the production history of the movie, that was a stage of the development of this where that where, you know, a bunch of years ago, that's what it was. Yeah, I, that well, that makes and they had an actor who was able to really 
dig into it in order to, well, that makes a lot of sense because it doesn't really feel like it has all that much to say once you get into the back half of it in particular, it kind of runs out of gas. But what Daniel Radcliffe brings to it is something that it was Weird Al-esque, but is different from Weird Al, which is just, he just gives this like incredibly committed performance mm-hmm. where he he just there's so much going on in so many of these scenes where where daniel radcliffe is exhibiting so many different like little dimensions of the like, acting technique or or perspective or like emotional range or like hard choices there's just there's just so much acting in this movie <laughs> <laughs> like just by him right and like it's it's that it really is. He's performing. It, it's just it's a big joke that it's like, OK, you know, we got Daniel Radcliffe to do it because it's like the most fun thing for an actor to do ever to play Weird Al and have him be the like ultimate, most important, most acted person in the world. Right. <laughs> and the just sort of decoupling what it is as an actor you really want to be doing from the needs of your subject or topic or your part, right? Like, like think about all the times where it's like, well, I, as an actor, I would have loved to have done this, but I didn't get those parts. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, okay, fine. So you're only playing, you know, a post office attendant, but why can't the post office attendant be the deranged King of Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> why not? And if a weird Al Yankovic, weird Al Yankovic would say, sure, he could be the deranged King of spoons for all I care. <laughs> you know, he could be the deranged King of corned beef sandwiches. In fact, I think, i wrote that you know like that kind of thing (laughs) but um where where being able to apply acting chops to uh pathetic drops (laughs) right is uh is a big part of what this movie is doing and and i and and it's weird al-esque it's sort of weird al parallel it's parallel uh, <laughs> uh, but but it is sort of its own. It's also this is also kind of a Daniel Radcliffe joint. It kind of feels like 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 just yeah, just the idea that like he got shredded for this movie or <laughs> shredded already got it for this movie, right? Like he, he's uh and and he just brings like so much. Uh, I mean, just like watching him like slump in the chair and like you know looking over at the ad executives. The difference in his performance in the different ad executive scenes is is like profound mm, yeah. you know yeah and it's just, just to so say bad. to say nothing of him uh you know pumping pablo escobar full of lead with an m16 rifle well okay so that, <laughs> that i think happens. is kind of a problem that i think is kind of a problem for the movie because daniel radcliffe abused that with too much realism <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's just well, no, there's too much humanity there's too much raw relatable <laughs> humanity on screen during <laughs> Oh during that gosh. actually in those i mean in those parody action sequences you know who is very good doing that kind of thing is weird al and i yes. you know i uh, i direct you to a, a little masterpiece called uhf in which he does you know a bunch of those like uh what was it rambo uh, is a rambo parody there's a conan the barbarian parody called conan the librarian um there's a uh See, Got- swap the thing. Take the feelings you have about this thing and make them about a random other object in right. your life. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. They're, they're a- all quite violent in a way that, um, like the 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 salesman scene where the, where the, the father beats up the salesman is violent, and also uh, the aforementioned um, Pablo Escobar. There's a Gandhi too. No more Mr. Yeah, Passive yeah, Resistance. No, He's out to kick <laughs> some butt. And then Gandhi with the the uh, machine gun. And then Gandhi says, give me a steak, medium rare. You know, and that's uh, 
<laughs> oh, it's burned into my, you know, it's burned into my memory, like a lot of fractal. the stuff. It's, yeah. it's like it starts as this little germ, right? And then because he's so committed and so detail-oriented, so many complexities, and then you're at the end and it's like, wow, right? <laughs> wow. Hey, let, let's, let's go back to Dana Radcliffe for a second. Yeah. We have to say the obvious thing, which is, right, you know, the the meta – this is all part of the Dana Radcliffe post-Harry Potter meta-narrative, right? Yes. Famously, he played the boy wizard for, like, what, a decade? Solid, right? And it was like, I'm not going to be pigeonholed as, you know, the boy wizard. I'm going to do other stuff. Which very actually, different. like, it involves a similar skill set, right? Like, being very serious and earnest about things that are uh, on their face completely ridiculous. Such yes. as um, uh, in his role in Swiss Army Man. I haven't seen this movie, but um, this is by the Daniels, you know, before they did everything everywhere. Um, Harry Potter, fa- um, Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe famously plays a corpse um, who farts. And that is how uh, a boat uh, is propelled across the ocean with Harry Potter's farts. Yeah. It's but magic. that's, he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I feel like he's sort of made his FU money, you know, and, yeah. and like has and proceeded ma- to FU like all the time. Like, has, <laughs> and it just makes like, I, I feel like he wants to be an, I feel like he's an artist. Like, I feel like he wants oh, yeah. to be creative and he wants to make choices that interest him. You know, like he did Equus right after that yeah. sort of to break the kind of to break the spell, I think, not just because he appeared nude in it, but also because it's very, you know, it's a very different. Actually, it's kind of like overheated and psychosexual. It, it is like Harry Potter in that respect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's yeah, very adult and it's it's literary. Um, and then he did uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. He did like a <laughs> full on Broadway oh, musical. Too. Jeez, you're right. You know, and what? was good in it. Like, because F you, you know, and then, <laughs> like he doesn't need the money. He's he's just he just makes interesting choices. And I think he actually like gets a little bit better every time I see him. And like, I, I, I think what Pete says deserves kind of highlighting and underlining a little bit, which is that like the level of acting chops that Daniel Radcliffe shows up with playing Weird Al is, you know, is uh, astonishing. And another kind of like very artsy, uh, serious actor, Evan Rachel Wood, is Madonna. Uh, you know, so that that like uh, they're they're really punching above their weight in terms of the in terms of the talent. And like everyone's in this movie, by the way, right? Like everyone everyone's in this movie and it's like emo phillips is in this movie and you know because like if you're i don't know uh if you're dimitri martin right and someone calls you up and is like hey uh you you, maybe weird al calls you up and is hey you want to be in my movie and (laughs) what are you gonna say every single person you know everybody is is uh uh, is in the film and it's it's like i don't know it's it has that that sort of um it that uh all-star cast kind of uh kind of feeling um which is interesting because you know uh, a lot of the uh the the main main act like the parents uh well i guess what's her name julianne nicholson is pretty recognizable now but uh his dad i didn't recognize his dad or anything so they're like they're cast to be actors you know and not to be famous faces though uh, jack black showing up uh was pretty great that whole party scene um was was pretty phenomenal right like conan o'brien is andy warhol uh whoever played divine was great uh whoever played grace jones 
was great. Like the yeah, the whole thing. Whoever played Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> that it was a guy from the Lonely Island. Oh, is that who the that was? Guy from Lonely Island. Yeah, I thought we actually thought is that actually Pee Wee Herman? But no, it was it was a Lonely Island guy. No, Pee Wee. By the Pee-wee way, Herman, if you had yeah, Paul <laughs> Rubens can't look like that anymore. He's he's yeah. like aged, you know. He's yeah, yeah, exactly. Time, time, you know, time ravages all Pee Wees. Um, <laughs> but but like, if you had money on the week that Gallagher dies, <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins will play Gallagher in a feature length film and will smash a watermelon on screen with a sledgehammer. <laughs> like that will, that will release that will have like a star studded cast. Like, man, collect that long bet. Right. Like, geez, is <laughs> it good? Peace point. be upon Gallagher. Right. But geez. Oh, man. Yeah, that yeah, scene just, was just awesome. a, brief, a brief aside on the timing of this movie. Right. It came out. Uh, it had a theatrical release a few months ago like oh okay or so but only recently was so it's released eligible on for oscars it's yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh gave it got it a wide streaming release on of all things the roku channel oh my goodness um which oh, like no. um i don't know that, that might that that, that that almost feels like part of the bit here it's like what is what is this on oh the roku channel what uh-huh okay sure it's on uhf yeah it's exactly. on uhf yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, just for anybody who thinks that marketing is mind control, direct, let me let me allow me to show you the Roku chat, which is basically like they did this great marketing coup. They have this super cool movie, right? That is the weirdest thing that's ever come out. I mean, it's you know, all over. Like, it's all over late night television. It's yeah. all over the Internet. It's all, all over everything. Everybody's talking about it. Parody is like the word of the week. And all of that it serves to do is to make you aware of this thing. And then you go to the website to get it. And it is just such a cluster, right? Like, uh, I mean, did you guys watch it? I mean, no, I will. T- I won't ask you whether you watched it on the Roku channel because I watched it on the Roku channel. And I'll tell you that because I used the free T-Mobile ad supported watch, uh, every time there was a commercial break, it would – it would decouple. I was watching it. I was logged into an internet browser on my phone, uh-huh. streaming it through my Apple TV onto my television. Okay. And every time there was an ad break, it would disconnect the stream, reconnect for the ads, play the ads, disconnect, and start from the beginning of the movie. Okay. Oh, and so that, I would that have was to not like, my experience. No, yeah. I think it was a little bit. It was a slightly janky, but like I don't know. I just downloaded the app. Pete, there's a um, there's an Apple I'd TV. There's a there's a Roku channel Apple TV app that you could install. I tried to I tried looked it up. It wasn't there. Oh no, I don't think there is one. I mean, maybe there is, and I just couldn't find yeah. it. But when I looked it up, I just got the Tubo or Tubi app yeah, or whatever. I, I knew it was huh. going to be like that, and I got it off the back of the truck just for that yeah. particular well, the, reason because I, I, I would have wanna... paid twenty dollars to watch that movie. Sure. <laughs> I, would, I paid ten dollars for Money Plane, so I paid twenty dollars. <laughs> 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 However much I paid for Money Plane, Money Plane. Um, <laughs> Look, speaking, man, speaking of I don't ads, go out way, much. Speaking of ads, two things. One is that I, for whatever reason, I was not served a single ad when it played on my on my phone. So um, I don't know. Maybe uh, I got I got well, I got spe- preferential treatment. No, I got this yeah, yeah. Roku app on my on my phone. Oh, okay. but the other thing is like the fascinating thing about Roku's business model, right? Is that like you know they sell these cheapo little uh, streaming boxes, um, and then. You know, they get people to put their stuff onto their platform and then they sell ads against that. And then, like, you know, as part of this play somehow is to <laughs> spend about ten million dollars on making a weird Al movie <laughs> to get people to get people to do stuff on their on their platform. Um, that again, that also feels part of the bit. Yeah. Yeah. It all it all feels like part of the bit. Um, and, and I guess what. So here, I, I, there was a part of the bit that was really fascinating for me. And, and I'll float this to you guys. 
because I, I was bummed that it didn't they didn't stay true to it through the whole movie, which was this idea that this takes place in an alternate universe where the style of music that Weird Al Yankovic plays is like super popular, namely like polka music that like we are in the 70s mm-hmm. in the United States and and ragtime never happened. So polka music is still like widely popular with America's youth. And there are like illicit polka parties that all the kids are going to together. And and that that the thus the weird thing about Weird Al isn't that he likes or plays polka music. It's that everybody likes it and he likes it, but his father irrationally hates it, right? Like it is the only person in the world who seems to hate polka music and forbids him from doing it, uh, which is a great because it really it really does, um, you know, uh, take down a peg the uh, what the sort of uh, ma- mainstream you call it mainstream. But you, you could, all, you know, you sort of call it the, um, you know, critical parent theory. The idea that children and parents are always in opposition to each other all the time and hate each other and that like the role of every child is to like rebel against their parents in every respect. And like uh, the parents will always try to crush their dreams and the child will always try to like uh, uh, over, you know, go around them or overcome them and show them how stupid they are because the child always knows better. Right. Like. uh, (laughs) But that's 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 the whole I mean that this movie really hangs a lantern on that, you know, Well, that's what I mean. They're making fun of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, they are hanging a lantern. They're hanging a big old lantern. On it. <laughs> the, because uh, Julian Nicholson, as the you know, as the mom, is like Al. We just think you'd be happier if you don't do the things that make you happy or unique. <laughs> you know, if you just, just don't be your don't be yourself. Don't yes. be yourself and don't follow your dreams. Right? Like, and that's you know, um, that's I. I mean, there are there are a number of moments from this from this style, this kind of constellation of movies this this area of uh, you know related movie genres one is the uh is that is the you know you'll you'll never take my hawaiian shirt or like finding a hawaiian shirt in the kid's bed like (laughs) oh he's been experimenting with hawaiian shirts um and like i was uh yeah that or, or and another one is the like the um how a song gets written uh, one and it, he does it a couple times, like in the in the dance off with Jack Black, right? Like, and and he comes up with uh, another one, rides the bus, but like the the my Bologna, uh, one where just everyone, you know, there's just this kind of wide eyed, and they don't they don't like they creep up right to the edge of of overplaying it, but like um the the uh that moment they have this wide eyed incredulity that this genius is, is walking among them, you know, and that like <laughs> how it's like, oh, that's, that's the, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard, yeah. you know? And they yeah. say it like, there would be a way of saying it where it was clear. And you see, Pete, you must've seen this as an improv director all, all the time where the, where the performer wants to demonstrate that they're superior to the material and, yes. you know, will like, will not act enthusiastic about something. will do a parody of being enthusiastic about something rather than like, uh, my Bologna, I love my Bologna, you know, like yeah. we'll be like, I love my Bologna where like yeah. there aren't, there aren't enough scare quotes in the world to like do justice to how the person is trying to distance themselves, uh, you know, from the material by doing it. And they, they like to their credit, I think they realize that like you can't do that and have this, have this sort of thing be, uh, be successful. I feel like the, the price of fame, uh, scene is another one. The like, 
like, you know, the fight with the, um, the fight with the, uh, the band. And then when Madonna says to him, you can't go out there driving completely drunk like you are because I have your keys. Here they are. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that, and I say these things not to, not to just parrot jokes from the movie. I say them, you know, to kind of, um, like just tick off the the types of uh the types of scenes that it's it's making fun of, you know? Oh yeah, totally. I just, I just wish I, there's this cool dynamic where it's like, okay, playing the accordion, playing polka on the accordion is the coolest thing and you're going to be a huge music star because you're like Johnny Guitar on the accordion, right? You're like uh you know, you're hustling at the record machine jungle land by playing your accordion at the underground parties where the cops are breaking it up, right? But Wanting to make song parodies is like a very specific thing that he wants to do that everybody is sort of ambivalent about, right? Like, and also I want to take songs, except for his dad, who really hates it. Right? So it's like, <laughs> so he really wants to play Cordy and everyone loves it. His dad really hates it. He wants to take songs everybody knows and replace the lyrics with different words. And everybody's like, okay, like, why don't you try doing that? It sounds fine. And his dad is like, he calls it, it's confusing and evil, right? Like, I love that part. Like, it's on it's confusing and evil when you change the words to songs and everyone's like you should try it and then they do he does and it's like that was amazing right but there's not this idea that that like song parody that everybody is that song parody is like already this thing that has this huge amount of cultural cachet it's sort of it's interesting that there's a contrast between the polka playing and the song parodying i was not on board at all with the twist in the story of weird al actually wrote the original songs and then popular artists start parodying them. Well, that's, I, that, that's that totally the, lost me. Yeah, that, I get that right. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, but it was just the one song, right? It was just "Eat It," where that where that claim was explicitly made, right? Oh, I suppose. I suppose. Um, yeah, but also it's like if you want to say where does this movie fall apart? Well, one of them is that its relationship with Michael Jackson. Yeah, like the movie does not know what to do about Michael Jackson, and I can I can just like feel mm, right, that yeah. scriptwriter meeting where it's like, yeah. what do we do about? Well, and they Jackson? they try to hang they they try to hang a lantern on that as well when they say like. When when uh, Daniel Radcliffe is out says, and now my name will be forever associated with Michael Jackson. And <laughs> someone next to him says, well, what could ever possibly go wrong with that? You know, yeah. and, oh, I missed that. Oh, that actually explains quite yeah. a lot there with it. OK, yeah. That, and that's like, I think, himself. Weird Al himself is like Michael Jackson is one of the most famous, best people, artists in the world. <laughs> and he's like, ah. yeah, exactly. But what could go wrong? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And that that's like there, there's um, also the bit where it's like it's time to put your uh, the, the eat it outfit on. And, you know, it's like the Michael Jackson, you know, the, the you, you, uh, red leather thing. It's like, no, I don't want to wear that. Right? Yeah, that's like, my. That, well, yeah, because that's because Michael Jackson appropriated it from. Um, <laughs> You know, from from Weird Al. It's just uncomfortable on a variety of levels. But it's like, yeah, yeah, my point is, I guess, that that is not a satisfactory resolution to the Michael Jackson question. You know, like, there are a number of things that you could have done. You know, not to, to, you know, I don't know, Monday morning podcast back the the writers of of this film, but a writer, I guess, it was written by... The writer who attempted to expand a 10-minute comedy sketch (laughs) into a two-hour feature film and maybe had a little bit, not enough material maybe the other one i mean the other one at the end that was like really was like hey we this these things this has gotten a little problematic is um when uh julian nicholson at the end is in the fat suit right and it's like yeah what's up with that you don't 
oh, the, the, the point of that joke was that your next song idea could be sitting right in front of you. And right. she's in a fat suit. Right. And she says, I'm fat. I'm fat. You know it. You know. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought, I thought you were saying what's up with that in the thing that, that, that like, they... oh, no, no, no. I know what's up with it. I was just like, it's not funny. I get, well, I mean, I guess cause you had to like, I feel like you had to deal with it cause it was such a big hit. That was actually yeah. probably, it wasn't even eat it. That it was probably fat that, that was the first, uh, weird Al song that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, the, yeah, the, there are, there are a number of things we don't need to rehearse the lyrics of of fat on this uh, uh, on this podcast. Uh, there were a number of jokes that I didn't understand and hit and had you know make me kind of grimace in in retrospect. But that like, well, I mean, what was up with it was like that was the way of kind of like acknowledging it. That was the right. way of kind of saying like, yeah, we know this is this is maybe not aged well, or that our sensibilities now you know don't think this this sort of thing is is yeah. funny. It's like the, the movie felt like it had to hit Weird Al's biggest hits. Yeah. And it didn't have much to say that was all that interesting about Weird Al's biggest hits. And it's a shame because right. Weird Al made a lot of stuff. And so the movie could have gone in other directions, at least as far as I'm concerned. But that's fair for me to say because I know Weird Al's other stuff. Hmm. And if there had been a long thing about a trip to Albuquerque, I would have thought it was amazing. But I guess they probably would have lost 95% of the viewership of the entire Roku channel if they did that. Well, what <laughs> happened? I mean, what, what happened in the end was not much better, right? I feel like it yeah. lost round about the – I mean, maybe the, the Escobar thing got through on – um, just on the kind of the kinetic aspects of it, it was high paced. There was a lot of action. Actually, I feel like the the stunts that like close quarters fight in the diner was pretty. <laughs> yeah, was pretty was cool. Good, yeah. You know, I the, like I, Jackie Chan fight. The guy looked like Jason Statham who yeah. showed up, and we go, "What is that, Jason Statham?" And it, it wasn't. But <laughs> but yeah no exactly I thought that that was pretty cool and then it's like I don't know the the it it devolves into something you've seen a lot which is you know people macho posturing and kind of firing you know weapons at each other from the middle distance and that's um okay uh, it wasn't enough of a parody of that yeah yeah and also like what yeah. was the thing about about Pablo Escobar like what was the you know, was it like, was it kind of a racial parody? Was it a... Was uh, I supposed to watch Narcos before watching this to understand what was happening? What was going like, on? Yeah. Why, why, why yeah did, that's a different stream. Why does he have mariachis if he's Colombian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why does he have oh, pesos? Geez, yeah, yeah exactly. Pesos? Yeah, why know. did he offer to pay in pesos? Like, yeah. a lot of the, you know, but that's, to me, that's where yeah, it kind of turned. And it like, mind. it just kind of ran out of gas for me in that in that third act, especially like when, when he goes home, this should be a, you know, there should be a way that the, the reconciliation with his father pays that is not Amish paradise. You know, yeah. that, that wasn't like yeah. Yeah. going into a, a 10 minute animated bit about how his, his father grew up, uh, among the Pennsylvania Dutch and like was not, uh, you know, uh, was ostracized for like wanting to play the accordion and that's for, for what... his own version of weirdness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like, I, I'm not sure that really delivered the, the sort of emotional stakes that, no. that it was trying to at the time. And I'm, I'm also not completely sure the idea that Madonna has weird Al assassinated. I like, I'm not sure what, 
what the joke is there, you know, like other than like, this is a zany thing that happens. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure yeah. what the joke is. I think uh, that's just a that, Madonna being it. evil. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. The, the Madonna being a, a succubus, uh, also like, you know, does not quite play well to, to modern sensibilities. Not that they were trying to correct for anything prior. Um, I was going to say something. I'm just, sorry, Pete, pick, pick me up here. Oh, There's oh, some good things yeah. to talk about here. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I mean, I think one of the things we're seeing is that one of the things that Weird Al, it was always so good at doing, was creating a sense of distance that could be bridged between the, what, I guess, the object and the subject and object of the parody, like the sort of uh, the thing being parodied and the parody. He always performed that little bit of edge and and gave you just enough of a cue so you knew that you weren't listening to the real thing. There was never confusion. There's never confusion with Weird Al about whether you're listening to the real song or the Weird Al song. As far as I can, I mean, maybe there and there's probably some examples that that would slip through, but I don't. I can't think of it. Even even when the instrumentals of the song sound exactly the same, he always kicks in with his vocals in a very exaggerated manner to let you know right away that it's him. And so. When there isn't enough of a distance between what I might think that a movie like this might plausibly say about people and what they do, then it doesn't serve the purpose of parody as much, which it is. It's a, it's a movie of imitations. It is a movie of parodies, though it's it's a it's a broader definition of parody, because what Daniel Radcliffe is doing is he's imitating He's using different acting techniques to imitate different sorts of performances that would happen in different contexts in the context of this character. And then this the idea that do what I believe that people would think that Madonna would, you know, um, be this sort of sexually manipulative person who would ruin Weird Al's life. I think people would believe that. I don't think it's true, but I think people would believe it. I thought when I heard about the movie, the thing I was excited about was the idea that Weird Al and Madonna had like a torrid long term love affair through the 80s. Right. Like and like, oh, man, you know, like I want to see like Weird Al is there and Dennis Rodman shows up. Right. Like, but or you, like what are the other directions that could go in? That feels like it could go anywhere. Right. Um, they could break up and like be writing lo- you know, love letters to each other. Right. Like yeah. they, they could, you know, he could have she could have tuberculosis. <laughs> I don't want to fridge her for him, but it's like but the <laughs> idea that she hates him and is like sexually manipulating him. It's just it's just too boring. It's not it's but yeah. it was already seen as a threat because of her sexuality. It's not a joke to say that in a movie like this. Madonna has also become a bit of a heel, I think, in her later career. Um, I think she recorded controversy over, you know, for her politics around Israel and Judaism and all the weird stuff like that. But also, like, she, this is a very specific nitpick against Madonna. <laughs> she has a reputation for being very late to concerts. <laughs> and, like, not <laughs> respecting her audience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, isn't, isn't the, uh, here's a running gag. Every time you jump through the eras of Weird Al's life and every time he's having a torrid love affair with like the greatest female artist of the time. Right. Like, there like, you yeah, that would have worked. That would have worked. You know, there, yeah. there's an idea, right? Like, and, uh, or male, right? So, like, in one scene, Madonna right, comes the phone, out. Yeah, exactly. Scene. The phone rings and, like, uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, weird. What's that? Weird. <laughs> you know, and it's like, quiet, quiet, Katy Perry. I need to answer the phone. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like, quiet, quiet, uh, Chris Martin. I need to answer the phone. Yeah, right? exactly. Quiet, <laughs> quiet, Taylor Swift. I need to answer the phone. <laughs> like, quiet, Biggie Smalls. I need to answer the phone. Quiet, Coolio. Quiet, Coolio. I need to answer the if phone. Coolio also died before he could see this movie. Man, um, mm. but Coolio did, yeah. was not done justice in this movie anyway. So, um, but yeah, it's just like it's it's one of those things where the concept is it just seems very rich, 
but it also seems like it very, very like the proliferation of different stuff. How do you rein it in to become like a, a single movie? Also, it could be all over. Right. The place. I mean, so, something else that's like, you know, we talk the, the, we're talking about things that weren't quite fully flushed out or like how the movie is not quite you know more than the sum of its parts is that um, straight off the bat right there is this grizzled old uh, older voice narrative narrator yeah. that is ostensibly supposed to be an older version of Weird Al. Right. But we also don't really see Weird Al grow older into that um, to inhabit that voice again because he's killed in his prime yeah. <laughs> in 1985 by Madonna. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there, there, there felt there, there, there's, there's probably seed of a, um, you know, of an idea there that that might have been played out. Um, but like, I, I think we just kind of have to like kind of take the movie as it is and say like features, not bugs. Right. It, it is a lot of you know jokes that are just kind of thrown against the wall. Some things do connect across. Uh, other things do not. Um, fairly episodic. Um, it's like by and large, it is an exercise, isn't an excuse to like you know um, be silly and feel glee. Set against the backdrop of Weird Al's move- music, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it gets elevated in certain ways, but it's not a. It's not the ambition. Uh, the project is not as ambitious as the heart that is put into it. I think. Mm. Uh, get right down to it um, yeah but, yeah was going back to the, the the acting chops that yeah exactly, that's Dana exactly. brought to this again. yeah mm. uh, and it's uh, i mean i would say that like the the mandatory fun videos are put together like a much greater work than this uh i, I mean did you guys watch remember the, the yeah week, the, no when yeah. they were coming out once when they were coming out once a week it reminded me of going back to the the like the really good old days of al tv you know, oh, yeah, of those yeah. special of that, like, I think half hour specials that he would do on MTV to launch his albums where he would cut himself into interview footage with celebrities, with mm-hmm. music, with musicians. Um, the, the one that I remember the most is with Eminem, uh, when Eminem withdrew consent to like have Al make a parody video of, I forget whatever Eminem song he, uh, will lose yourself, right? Oh, was that it? Yes. Cause he, yeah, because he did the one about watching television, and then he had to like pull the video. Because, yeah, because I mean, because yeah. he does like though. It's, I suppose not strictly speaking required legally. He always like operates with the permission of the and and the kind of consent of the artists. And right. Eminem, Eminem, yeah, pulled a yeah pulled a switcheroo, and it was the whole like marketing thing for this. So he yeah. was uh yeah so so Weird Al got his revenge by cutting himself into some Eminem interview f- footage where Eminem was going like. Yeah, whatever. And I was going like, wouldn't it be kind of a jerk move to pull your <laughs> And Eminem was like, whatever. And it's like And by the way, Eminem, why did you send me thirty thousand anchovy pizzas? Isn't that kind of a jerk move? Whatever. What you know, and like it just, you know, uh, ratcheted it up, uh, ratcheted it up from there. I, I don't know if he's doing this anymore, but I, maybe in closing, I, I can just offer a, and I don't know if you've seen him, you've seen him live too, Pete, right? Uh, have you seen Weird him? Al, yeah, yeah. Do just the, the, just the, the original stuff. Just the original stuff. I, yeah, yeah. I highly recommend if he ever does it. I mean, I don't know. He's not like Weird Al's not a young man anymore. Like, <laughs> but his show, uh, I saw his show once and it was so good. Like, yeah. it was two hours, two solid hours of music, quick changes. Like, he did the, 
um, you know, all the costumes for all of his things, you know, that was the, that was the main production element. It wasn't like there were pyrotechnics or like a light show or anything like that. It was, uh, I guess there was a video screen at the back that, that he used to, to, uh, roll videos to cover some of the changes, but like, but man, like the, the amount of energy, like it was the, the night, I, I I don't know. I, the only thing I can, I can compare it to is like, just try next time you try, next time you walk out of the house, uh, try to run, (laughs) you know, at like, let's say a nine minute per mile pace for two hours while singing at the top of your lungs (laughs) and see, you'll get like a block and a half and you'll collapse in a heap. Like it was just the, the level of energy that he had was, was astonishing. And the fact that like he sounded good and like it was funny and it was fun and all that stuff was just, was just incredible. I like, I highly recommend seeing Weird Al live if you, if you possibly can, it was a really great experience. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I always love it when somebody is just really good at what they do and uh, and you find out and you you go in, you go in on that artist more and you find that they're good. They're just really good all the way down. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice to be pleasantly, uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, All right. Well, let's uh, let's leave our conversation there. Uh, this has been a, a, a great chance to kind of revisit some, something I truly love from my, my childhood. Uh, my wife does not understand it <laughs> at all. And not, and not even a little bit. She's like, that's, and you liked, you liked that. You liked these, the, you like, you, you, uh, did my Bologna. You walked around singing that. And I was like, I'm walking around singing it now. <laughs> the, the, the next week is going to be all about my Bologna. Um, but like, man, man, did I like it? So uh, thanks everyone for listening, for coming with us on this journey. Thanks Pete and Mark for, uh, for walking the road, the road of Weird Al's life uh, with me. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Uh, this was 750, by the way, guys. Congratulations on reaching a number that is uh, divisible by 10, divisible by 50, divisible by 250. Uh, what a neat, uh, what a neat little milestone uh, to have. And it's kind of nice to, to spend this one on, on Weird Al. There's, I, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it to the history. I'll leave it to the uh, what's a what's a literary executor for but for podcasts, whoever analyzes whatever whatever alien in a future civilization that discovers the the archive of these podcasts and has to extrapolate your knowledge of of all humanity from what we say on these podcasts. I'll leave it to you to, uh, you know, uh, commission a PhD thesis or something like that about uh, the relationship. But it felt good to spend this one on Weird Al 750. Congratulations. And, and thanks, everyone. All right. We'll be back with more overthinking podcast next week till then visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it it probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve Pete, the lyrics for La Bamba are a set of instructions. But really? Yeah. Whole- That's what all. They, what do they tell you to do? They, they tell you uh, uh, to dance the bamba. Uh, you need a little bit of grace okay. uh, for for me, for you, uh, and uh, put your hands in the air. <laughs> Arriba, arriba. Put put your hands in the air, and and then the second verse is uh, is I am not I am not a sailor. 
I am the captain. And then the chorus is bomba, 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 bomba. I mean, lasagna is better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to do lasagna, you make a, uh, you make a thing of like mascarpone cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Mascarpone. (laughs) 